looking at? I'm Fathery. I'm Aaron. Oh, is it? Who's it? Yeah, whose turn is it going to? I'm Jesse. Hello, and this is this is the Brady Bunch. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is uh, this is Text Trek and Dronda Trek, and in a moment we'll have a uh, visit from Mike McMahon. Uh, Brandy, you didn't get a chance to introduce yourself. I'm sorry. You, you know what? That's okay because the guys always forget about me anyway, <laughs> so I'm used to it. <laughs> I'm fine. True. I'm Brandy. It's like <laughs> I'm Brandy. <laughs> Why, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> and normally here I have like a really bad joke where I, I somehow like uh, try to say like, and this is text track, but this is also drawn to track, but I don't have that. So I'm just going to click the uh, play. And then depending on what you're listening to, you'll either hear a rockabilly song or a bunch of like samples from Star Trek cartoons. Here we go. Captain's log, star date 7403.6. pretending to do a captain's log? I saw that, but I don't believe it. A Vendorian doctor. A uh, shapeshifter? Ah, uh, Look, I can set you up with somebody great on the Cerritos. There's that Felosian and Tactical. She seems like a nice plant person. Intelligent plants? Orion's little game of neutrality and piracy is over. For your information, many Orions haven't been pirates for over five years! Time to take this puppy off its leash! Warp me! Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the uh, 267th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new. And episode 23 of Drawn to Trek, a Star Trek animation podcast. From the Trek Geeks Network. <laughs> Pr- proud member of the Trek Geeks Network, and tonight we're talking about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, the whole damn thing. The whole damn thing. That's a lot. This is a ton like of episodes your husband to said talk there about. Were quadrants. We've got the alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm the gamma, the dominion. Am that's, I the, that's scary. Am I, yeah, I was say, am I the beta quadrant? Damn it. Nothing no, you're, interesting you're the, the alpha quadrant. Yeah, you're the, like the basic am bitch quadrant. Yeah. Am I alpha if we start, quadrant? Who are we starting with? Yeah, but like, <laughs> I, thought, I thought alpha quadrant was that way. No, alpha alpha is like the bottom left, generally, uh, and then you beta have to take the four hundred five right. to get to the gamma quadrant. <laughs> oh, I, at least I got Earth, <laughs> I got Earth and Vulcan, right? So at least that's chill. I'll I like how that. with like these California roads, y'all are like the four hundred five. Like it gives it more like because like you know we have like Interstate thirty five runs down from like Dallas to Austin to no. San Antonio, but no one calls it the I thirty five or I the thirty five. Stuck on get stuck on the four hundred five for like four hours on your way to work, and you'll know why it's called <laughs> the four hundred five. <laughs> when, when you feel like Voyager spending 78 years or how, however long trying to get back to the Federation, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about season four of Lower Decks with, with all of y'all in, in just a moment. Just a, a little bit of, of news I have to uh, have to announce. Uh, first of all, just a big thank you to the TextTrack uh, Patreon supporters. We'll have our uh, monthly watch party on November 18th. It's a Saturday afternoon. We're watching Charlie X because... I think off the top of my head, that's the only episode in all of Star Trek that overtly references Thanksgiving out of anything. So, mm. well, I mean, yeah, that's true. I guess the other closest would be like that one Star Trek Discovery episode where they have like the family dinner yeah. that gets awkward. And we did that. We did yeah. that as our watch party thing uh, in November last year. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. But 
Um, but yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, also, the uh, the strikes ended, so I'm sure uh, Alex Kurtzman is trying to book flights for, um, you know, get Michelle Yeoh to Toronto, get all of the Strange New Worlds people <laughs> up there, like yeah. get some get some cameras rolling. But they they can make Star Trek again now. So gotta figure out what's cool. happening with the Gorn. Come on. And now you're gonna get a billion Star Trek legacy tweets. <laughs> I love that people are like, hey, is it, you know, can they get back to recording it? I'm like, there isn't an it. It, it does not exist. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on Star Trek Legacy. I have thoughts. Yeah, no. <laughs> After the, uh, the the writer's strike, though, they can, that, that is like a good point, though, but they can develop shows yeah. now. So they are, there true. are, I'm sure someone is working on pitches somewhere. Or they're thinking about working on that. But because with Discovery leaving, you know, they're developing the, you know, Starfleet Academy and likely uh, they're they're likely going to want to do something else. I think just considering how uh, Paramount Plus shows, you know, the only thing that's in the mm. the top ten is either Star Trek or those Yellowstone yeah. spinoffs. The Taylor, Taylor Sheridan guy. So I was going to call it Yosemite. <laughs> yeah, close, but not quite. I think I think Paramount Plus is going to keep making uh, Star Trek spinoffs and Yellowstone spinoffs. So honestly, yeah, the bigger question, the bigger question, I think more is not whether or not. Star Trek will continue going based on its own success, but more, will Paramount Plus survive? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That, that is an actually good question. I think that'll be the biggest problem with more Star Somebody Trek. might buy, buy Paramount, who knows? Yeah, well, that's that's the end goal. That's what, that's what That was the whole point of, sh- this is probably like more inside baseball than most people <laughs> care about, care. but Sherry <laughs> Redstone's whole like, no, we need to like remerge everything back together and hold on to CBS even though no one wants it, and like, her her whole like, life's goal, like her whole dream was, was to make it, yeah, let's make like this big expensive package for someone like Netflix or Apple or Amazon to buy, so that, yeah, that, that will be the, mm. eventually someone will own star trek whoever whoever ends up buying paramount so same thing with wb it's it's a good time to be an artist in hollywood (laughs) (laughs) but uh well some good news though the return of prodigy it's gonna be it's gonna be a prodigy christmas a prodigy prodigy homecoming (laughs) prodigy is coming home for christmas baby to to their new home at netflix so you're already doing better advertising than than paramount ever did (laughs) for the show (laughs) it's good timing for them because i just i i I broke up with my partner Antonia back in February, but we just now separated the f- phone bill. I was kind of dragging my feet on that because she was paying for it. To to be fair, like she still has like a lot of shit over here. She has to come pick up, so she's kind of like renting storage from me. Uh, but I found out when I was like doing all this reshuffling around with my phone bill, I was like, "Oh, T-Mobile will actually like pay for my Netflix sub- subscription, which I currently is like the only streaming service I don't have." So I can now sign up for Netflix for Prodigy, and it's not going to cost me anything. So. Oh, nice. That's and nice. I, and I was hearing, too, like, um, Prodigy going to Netflix might be, have been the best thing for it. Because, again, we're talking about, like, how Paramount Plus is eh uh, in terms of its views. Where Netflix, well, Netflix is also sort of rocky. It definitely has a bigger <laughs> subscriber base. So it honestly will get it probably seen yeah. more, as well as maybe give it larger potential to get a season three, given that it's... Um, uh, it's um, it's kind of run by Nickelodeon, not Paramount necessarily. Right. So. And that Nickelodeon is like a big part of Paramount Plus, and I mean that was definitely originally on there. But also, they didn't have to pay for season two, so they're they, they're basically they're running a show that they didn't have to have any you know yeah. input on financially. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's going to be good exposure. A, a boon. I think it's just like having. All the kids home, and if you want to, like, just you know, put them in front of the TV, you could do that. A lot of kids are going to get an iPad on Christmas Day, and their parent mm. is going to be like, "Here, I'm going to like log into Netflix <laughs> so I can hand this thing to you and go like, you know, like keep you busy while I go and like enjoy my Christmas Day." 
And like a lot of those kids are gonna, you know, they're, they'll have the option. They'll see, they'll see Prodigy. They'll see, they'll see Dal and Murph and Rock Talk. I hope, and hopefully, a lot of them click on it and enjoy the show. Apparently, um, Tales of Arcadia, I think this was uh, mm-hmm. did really, really well when it came out on Christmas. So, oh, nice. So Tales of Arcadia is a great, great series. Also, maybe the Prodigy folks. So, right. Yeah, that's, yep. that's, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Hagemans and Walkie, but yeah, there is a relationship there with with uh, Netflix. So I kind of guess that's where it was going to end up, just given that that you know interaction between them all. And our banner spent the most time over that building. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be curious to see how close to them saying yes it was to when we flew the banner. <laughs> that is that would be interesting. Yeah, we don't want people standing outside of our building. Hurry, hurry, get get the show. <laughs> <laughs> we already have a protesters. We don't want to protest strikers. Uh, so we're talking some lower decks. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So we're, we're going to have our interview with Mike McMahon later at the end of the show. But uh, Aaron and I sat down with him for 30 minutes and talked a lot about season four. So I think y'all will really dig that. In the meantime, though, while we have uh, Brandy and Jesse here, though, I would like to... Uh, you know, get some people's like overall opinions on the season. And if folks are joining us in the live audience, if you could please, uh, you know, share your responses. But I think uh, just starting off, why don't we just all go around and just kind of, uh, especially uh, Jesse and Brandy, who weren't like, uh, you know, yapping about this like every week on, on this show. <laughs> Uh, I, I know that y'all, yeah, are, y'all gonna, are easy to find on, on other places. But Jesse, why don't you go first and just kind of tell us like your overall impressions with season four and a bit of like how it compares to the other seasons of Lower Decks. Honestly, I think it, uh, you know, I'm biased. Lower Decks is my favorite, uh, like currently running Star Trek show and one of my favorite Star Trek shows ever. Um, but I think this was a fantastic season of the show. And honestly, I think the argument could be easily be made that it was the best season of the show. Uh, it, it, it fixed a lot of like my larger critiques that I've had with Lower Decks, again, being a huge fan, which is, you know, sometimes the show kept resetting the status quo a lot of the time, where it's like, ah, uh, they're still on the Lower Decks, they're still, like, they're, they're still ensigns, you know, we're finding ways to, like, get them off the ship and then bring them back with Boimala and the Titan, things like that. But this season actually pushed them forward and actually felt like there was substantial growth um, in all of their characters that I thought was really wonderful, seeing them all move up to Lieutenant, the status quo changing on that level, but also the status quo changing with the addition the addition of Talin um as well as well as some really wonderful payoffs to like uh uh like series long character arcs like mariners uh, stuff going on and then the like overall mystery of the season was pretty surprising and yet felt incredibly satisfying in how it all tied together with the Nick Lacarno of it all both as like a nostalgia sort of thing but also using Nick Lacarno in a kind of interesting way that evolved his character from what we knew him before so it, it, and it didn't just feel like hey here's this guy doing the same thing that it did again that you kind of got in things like Picard season three in, in my opinion so like I think on just almost every level I think it was phenomenal I have a few critiques here and there like I think Boimler's arc was a little less draw, uh, like sort of specifically figured out towards the end um, but I also have to point out too that this season gave me I think one of the most meaningful episodes of Star Trek that I've ever gotten um, Tendy's episode we'll talk about it when we get there but like Tendy's episode specifically I think just it means a lot to me um, so yeah just as as a uh, as a whole season, I think it was phenomenal. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll ask you to talk more about that Tindy episode in mm-hmm. just a moment. But uh, yeah, we were going to have you on and something. Ha- I think you. Yeah, yeah, I think movie stuff happened. happened or, yeah, yeah. I knew something to do with my movie had to come up. So, uh, Brandy, why don't you tell us your kind of just overall thoughts on season four as a whole? 
Well, I don't have much different things to say than what Jesse has already said. I absolutely loved this season. I loved the progression of the characters. My only slight complaint, and it's really not a complaint, but give me more Boimler. <laughs> Boimler's my dude, okay? I need more Boimler. It doesn't matter how much Boimler you put in there. I'm always going to need more Boimler. Mm. Because I am Boimler, and I feel represented. Brandy, I, <laughs> so. I asked uh, Mike McMahon about that. I know that you're the, the number one Boimler stan. And yeah, I, I said like, uh, hey, hey, Mikey, it seems like there's a little less little less Boims in season four. What's going on with that? So he comments on, on that in, in, our, in our interview that, that we'll be sharing in a moment. Uh, it's probably Jack not being available or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but yeah, I think I think like the the having a career is like is like yeah, right. <sighs> Go beyond the boys and crap. <laughs> My adventures with Superman too. This is a big yeah, year for him. Yeah. which is such a good show. Yeah. If if you haven't watched that, shout out to everyone. If you have not watched My Adventures to Superman, what is wrong with you? My Adventures with Superman. Sorry, it's fantastic. I love. I it. met the showrunner too for that, and he is super nice too. That's, yeah. that's his awesome. voice is so close to Boimler that I like mm. wanted to wait until this season was over and then watch it, so it didn't like start crossing them in my head <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah no the biggest thing i could say is like the fact that boimler and rutherford too both kind of got a little like um downplayed to, especially towards the latter half of the season that's okay if the ladies are front and center i'm never going to complain about that girls trip plus boimler you know <laughs> <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to add brandy about just season four as a whole i really appreciate the evolution of mariner's relationship with her mother mm -hmm. and how they mm -hmm. are so comfortable with each other now and uh, just how comfortable Captain Freeman is, period, overall, in how she runs the ship, how she interacts with people. She's come a long way since season one, mm -hmm. and I love seeing her like this. I think she's fantastic. Yeah, if I can, if I can add something to that, uh, there's a lot of moments in season four where they kind of take a moment to highlight the similarities between Freeman and Mariner, and uh, like yeah. there, sometimes it's like kind of subtle, but there's a moment in the finale. When Mariner is talking to Locarno and, and she says something like, come on, Nick, you're better than this. If you go back to season three, there's an almost identical moment between Freeman and Buen Amigo. And she says, like, oh, come on, man, you're better wow. than this. Like, I, I think it's almost verbatim the same. So wow. I'm really no, not. She says I think that really he's answered. not a killer. He yeah. Says, he says, you're not a she says, you're not a murderer. And he says, oh, I really am. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was this, yeah. and then that was the, this one, and then I think with the the Buen Amigo one, it was uh, what was his first name? No, that was the Buen Amigo one. Oh, that was the Buen Amigo one. Yeah. Oh, then the Locarno one. It's like you're better than this, but it was pretty and similar. It, yeah, it's it, it's similar. Yeah, for sure. Aaron, what about you? What was what's kind of your general impressions on season four? I really think this season flowed together better than past seasons, and I, I have to agree. It's like I think it might be the best season. You can't have it without the other three seasons. So there's a weird qualifier to it but yeah um and what i really enjoyed was that the while they're cool easter eggs to other star trek shows they're now referencing their own show quite a bit mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments in the finale is when boimler is taking over being captain if you go back to season two uh the spy humongous it's almost identical to the improv captaining that he's doing on the the, the black box stage mm -hmm. um and i did some screenshots and there's like this it's like the same uh kind of stance and everything like that and it was just i thought that was really cool but that version was kind of pompous and and not you know realistic this boimler hit me the way they drew his eyes it seemed like that was really something that they he, he seemed to have confidence without it being like fakely thrown on to him Mm -hmm. so and you know normally i for the overall story arc 
you know, Jesse and I have had this conversation about the burn where it's like, yeah. like this is, there's no way you could have figured out who it was and what happened. And, and I think the difference, cause I was trying to think it's like, well, they're kind of the same thing. It isn't so inextricably linked with every single story. There yes. isn't, you know, there it's there occasionally, but it's not just totally weighing on your mind. And I felt it was a little bit more like, I, I want to let it ride and not try and figure out what it is. Cause I want to be surprised. And that was cool. And the things that we knew in the story, too, with, like, Nick Locarno's stuff, the things that we knew, which was, like, there's a ship taking out other ships, is what would be present in the stories themselves. So, like, with the, them having to go to, with, to Orion because they're trying to, like, fix negotiations with the with uh, with the Orions because their ship was taken out. Yeah. Or the Betazoid spies, you know, coming on the ship as well. Like, like it, the thing with the burn, too, is, like, they mystery box it so much. So, it's, like, this, like, ooh, big mystery that they, like, have to figure out. And so, like, the, the driving thrust of the narrative is figuring out this thing that we don't have a tenable grasp on. Whereas, like, the things that this mystery was setting up with the things that we were dealing with our characters were the tenable aspects of it rather than this like nebulous yeah. thing and i was yeah, fine with with like the how, how it would just like open with you know here's a random ship being destroyed like, yeah i was fine with that just being kind of segregated off to the its own little open. section of the episode <laughs> and not having a ton of influence on the the main plot because i was i'm you know i'm a pa- patient audience member i'm like yeah eventually you know they'll keep showing this to me and eventually it'll like tie into the whatever big story they're trying to tell within that the the little cold openings that story did progress too just like oh you're finding mm-hmm. out it's more of the lower deck people and this you know so you right. kind of put you get new put information two and two together to figure out what sort of what going on so you know it, right. it wasn't just the same because we worried about that the first time it was repeated we're like oh no is this gonna be like every episode just opens up a thing and blows up and then you see the the logo of their <laughs> their the planet float by or something like that um so it was nice that there it kind of got shaken up and it ties into the themes of the show like it's kind of a reiteration of weege dude with like getting to see different cultures lower decks and like tying this like we're not so different despite our cultural differences like there's still similarities yep. and dynamics so that ties into like star trek themes as well and then also all of those local deckers get paid off in episode nine where we end up on that planet where they're all there so we get a little yeah. bit of payoff to all of those stories too so it like emphasizes the thematics ties into the mystery gets a payoff in its own right for people who are paying attention um so it just it works it works on a lot of different levels i actually rewatched the entire series today oh wow and <laughs> not the entire series the entire season excuse I say, me damn. i rewatched the entire wow. season <laughs> and actually i did rewatch the entire series over the course of two days a few weeks ago but anyway um <laughs> The first episode, actually, of season four, that first attack comes at the end of the episode. It is mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. the cold open. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. And yeah, people are talking, we got Peanut Hamper and Agamus, uh, Redemption Sharks and Emperor Locarno, which I, I really like because, um, you know, with Peanut Hamper, you know, people dislike last season's uh, episodes uh, with Peanut Hamper. We, uh, I liked it. I didn't. Lot, I but, liked it. I liked it a yeah, lot. Yeah, I liked it. I too. loved There's it. Some people who like, disliked it. It's like, oh, it's not showing Brandy and I are like on like, the same page. <laughs> but the point, the point that that episode, I think, was trying to make, whether you like it or not, I think the point of it was, was that people need to earnestly want redemption to earn it. Mm-hmm. And this episode was the evolution of that idea of being like, they earnestly wanted redemption. And what I liked with the Nick Locarno storyline, and I think he would work, makes him work as such a good villain, is that he's this guy who pretends that he's like trying to do this for others, that he's trying to create this egalitarian, you know, anarchistic group that like there's no power structure. Which would really be cool. Just, that would be cool. Like, yeah, yeah. And and it's very clear that it's just like, no, he's, he's a piece of crap trying to like, you know, capture his 
his glory days and like he's there it's really there to like venerate his own glory not actually try and create something new and as soon as the like the the like characters uh the people that he works with are see that he is that asshole they're like this isn't what we're about. Let's peace. And yeah. <laughs> I think it was, it was just, it was a very clear of like targeting of the criticism um, on like people like Nick Locarno. Cause there are people in, you know, very, you know, progressive or leftist or anarchistic movements who are just using it there for their own valor rather than like actually being about the movement. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because kind of like one of my only complaints about the season is I think, I don't think that was very clear. I think that should have been more clear. Like, I, I, I feel like nowhere in that story arc did, like, it, it kind of came off as, like, too much of a possible, like, defense of hierarchy to me. Like, like, I felt like nowhere, yeah. nowhere in there did they ever say, like, but, like, this Locarno's idea of, of, like, trying to, you know, get rid of, like, these powers, right? Like, that is, like, a potentially, like, good idea. Like, I kind of wish that, that, that would have been emphasized that, like, oh, if it wasn't, like, Locarno's idea, like, wasn't good, it's just, like, he, it, he didn't really believe it himself. He was just, like, well, this is a way for me to be important. Yeah. I think the way to to do that i mean it, it, the way to fix that um potentially is if they have nova fleet show up again in in a later yeah. season yeah. and they're basically like good guys like or portrayed as like a good force generally if they do that maybe I think they that become that the fenris rangers well. yeah essentially it could Ooh, they, would, they could honestly, tie that'd be a great tie in they could tie that together now that's that's something yeah. else that comes up when when aaron and i were talking to, to mike mcmahon is that he he said that he likes to pull stuff from shows that are already completed. Mm-hmm. Picard's already completed, so you know, Fenris Rangers are like open game, right? Like honestly, yeah. that I love that concept. That would be a really, really cool way to sort of tie those things together yeah. if you make the Nova Fleet become Fenris Rangers. I, I think that's a great idea. And a lot of us want like a, a Fenris explanation. It was just kind of like Picard's yeah. just kind of yeah. like, here's a thing, and now we're we'll never <laughs> explain or tell you more or elaborate or anything. But it's yeah, there. The closest the closest we ever got to seeing some of the Fenris Rangers was in that audio drama set between seasons one and two with uh Raffi yeah. and mm-hmm. um and seven yeah that actually has jerry ryan and michelle heard so people uh people check that out i would highly recommend it and you do get yeah. to see a little bit of the fenders rangers in in that like meet some of the fenders rangers there yeah i just yeah like the fact that he can pull from now from that show it's like that's that's interesting and it helps set up backstory too because it's what three years before the first episode of picard something like that yeah 20 is the year of season one of picard Right. Yes. Oh, and this is eighty-one, right? Yeah, and this is eighty-one. This is quite a bit before. So, yeah, lower decks is at one year after Nemesis, so twenty-three eighty. I presume I, I have to look at the exact start dates, but I assume it's somewhere in there. So about two decades before. Season one of Lower Decks is twenty-three eighty, and as far as I can tell, seasons two, three, and four are all in twenty-three eighty-one. They've all been in the same year. Yeah. That totally makes it possible to do Fenris Rangers. Then, like, there's a lot of time yeah. to have that thing morph into something. Yeah, else. You, you have a, you have eighteen years there. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't like two years or three years. Like I was thinking about, like, oh no, are they going to have to deal with like the Mars explosion and all that? And, no. <laughs> and if they don't do it in Lower Decks, I'm sure a novelist will do it. <laughs> but speaking speaking of Prodigy, if we, if we can switch back to Prodigy, everyone does need to stream Prodigy on uh, December 25th when it hits Netflix because if it does well and gets a season three, uh, Aaron Walkie has said that he wants to do stuff that ties into what Picard had going on in the 2380s, like the stuff with Mars and Romulans and all of that. So it'd be fun to see that from like the prodigy kids perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very interesting and actually make the synth storyline make sense. (laughs) Yeah. No, they could do, they could do all kinds of cool stuff. Good luck with that. (laughs) I mean, it's doable, but it's, it's better than yada, yada, yada. We repealed the synth ban over the course of a week, right after the Eldritor tentacle monsters (laughs) came out and we were like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) 
Anyways, I, I'm not bitter about Picard. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We don't have to talk about Picard anymore tonight. We'll, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk or about ever again. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Lower Deck season four. Just like favorite episodes, characters, or moments. Like, did anyone have uh, like Jesse? What was your? You already said your favorite episode. So why don't we just start mm. there? Uh, you said episode four. The, the, the green. The what is it? Something green. Yeah, something, something borrowed. Something green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something borrowed. Something green. I adore that episode. I mean, I've ranted elsewhere, um, numerous places about it. So I won't, I won't go into uh, elaborate, elaborate detail. But four I, hours that later. Episode, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that episode meant seriously the world to me. I, I have spoken a lot about how Tendi is is perhaps one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek Behind, maybe only Jadzia. Um and uh it's because she is this character who is full so full of life and so positive and so kind and so caring and always brings it around to just being so just almost violently just caring and kind to her friends and being about them. I, I just identify with that and also try to live up to that uh, as a character trait. Um and also on top of that, she's a character and me being a trans person, like I just identified a lot with her story about being from, you know, uh, you know, uh, there's just numerous things you can say. Like, like she has like a dead name. She has like pheromones. She doesn't have pheromones that other like Orions have, things like that. So I always like kind of like secretly read a trans narrative into her that I, that was I was just putting upon her. But what that episode did is is really kind of make those things that I had kind of read into Tendi very textual. I mean, Tendi is quite literally assigned assassin at birth in that series, in that episode. Like she makes clear that she was someone who was told to be this thing from birth and chose not to that and, and left and found her own queer found family in Starfleet and chose to pursue being her best self and what she wanted to do beyond how her society tried to limit her um, and try to define her for herself. And while that's not textually trans in like a gendered sense that we think of transness today, it is a very trans uh, experience. Um, and so it, it just really resonated with me on, on so many levels and just made this character who I, I love with all of my heart resonate more with me and who I am and I think added a lot of really interesting depth to her and uh just speaking of moments to kind of jump off of that in a way I haven't had a chance to really talk about yet is the final moment of the season where Tendi does have that moment where she like says you got this which is such a powerful beautiful moment because the way I mm. read that is is Tendi saying you know you know She's like she she knows who she is now, and she's not going to let Orion, the the society, uh, try to define her again. Like she's she knows who she is. She's going to be her science loving, kind, weird dork of a self, and isn't going to let Orion just take that from her in a way that you know perhaps Tendi of you know four seasons ago would not have been so confident in who she is, would not have been confident in her identity. Um, and so we've seen that arc for her, and I think at that moment just really pays off. Like a confidence that Tendi never really had an identity she never really had um, that I, I found really amazing and and just was, uh, I think, just such a cool and powerful badass moment to end the season on that I just really, I honestly loved. So uh, Tendi's arc overall, that moment for Tendi specifically, and then that episode, Something Borrowed, Something Green, I think were all like really wonderful uh, just things that I loved about the season. You know, something that I haven't heard many people talk about, but they they kind of intentionally connect back to the first episode of the show in season four mm. with Tindy's arrival on the Cerritos that yeah. we kind of like Lower Decks has been the story of just like Tindy's time mm -hmm. on the Cerritos thus far. 
And they remind us back to her first day in the season in caves when we see the flashback to that, you know, to them hanging out in the bar that first day and her in the turbo lift. And and we learned there that, like, she was nervous. Everyone was going to have all these prejudices against her for being Orion. They were going they were going to prejudge her. But she comes on. She finds like this welcoming, you know, group of friends that embrace her. And she's all like relieved in the turbo lift. Like, oh, I was, you know, nervous and stuff. And then at the, the season finale, when they have her like standing and looking at like that, that back window when the ship goes into warp, she did that on the Cerritos when she first got on the Cerritos in, in the first episode. She was like staring out like that back window when the ship went to warp. So that's like a thing like mm-hmm. she does when she first gets to a new ship, I guess. But like, yeah, she was scared. You know, when she arrived at the Cerritos, she was like, you know, the scared little girl right out of the academy, like, oh no, everyone's going to be mean to me because I'm Orion. And now that she's grown over these four mm-hmm. seasons, you know, she's on the Orion ship and she's like, yeah, this ain't shit. Like I got this, you know? So yeah, yeah I love exactly. that. I love that growth. Yeah, so cool. Brandy, what about you? Did you have a, a favorite a favorite episode of the season or a, a moment or character? Or like what was like a, a big highlight of season four for you? So many things. It's, uh, anyone who knows me should know that I have a really hard time picking favorites. And so when I say something is my favorite, it is a big effing deal. So um, I think my favorite thing, gosh, my favorite episode, I'm going to say, if I have to pick, is going to be the finale, although it's tired, uh, tied very closely with I Have No Bones But I Must Flee. Um, <laughs> because that that episode, besides giving us a moopsie, which, thank God we have moopsie, moopsie. now. Because I just... Moopsie! I love that little thing so much. I love how when it's walking, it's like... Eh, 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 eh. <laughs> it's just... And yeah, it's a cuddly little murderer, but I can't help it. I love it. I love it. But not only did that episode give us Moopsie, but it gave us this new understanding between uh, Ransom and Mariner. Mm. And it, it, it goes back again to a person hearing something out of context and assuming that they know what's going on. Stop assuming. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Ask for context. Get context. Just Context is for, for kings. Sake. Yeah, yeah. It is for kings. It is for kings. Well, at least they did that this season. Where there, what, Was it season two or something where it was like every other episode was somebody just mishearing something? You're just like, oh. God, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't ever, just never assume. They make an ass out of you and me. But, um... <laughs> I, I loved that. The joke only makes sense if of... you understand the English language. Doesn't translate yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really, I really loved that episode. So that's probably what what would rank as my second favorite episode because I just appreciated Mariner finally understanding what was going on and that he wasn't going to let her self sabotage anymore. And also, she got to break all of his teeth out of his mouth and. <laughs> when i rewatched that one last night i was like oh my god the teeth getting knocked like just standing there yeah. like letting someone just punch all your teeth out just like a that's hardcore it's terrifying i love the nuance that that brings to mariner's storyline because i saw some people crit- criticize like mariner's arc this season where people were saying like oh it feels like she this is the mariner of season one where she's you know being rebellious and i'm like no this is become from coming from a like her getting promoted and that being a trigger for her very clearly a trigger for her because we see that in season one she's briefly promoted there as well and she does everything she can to push that down and like tries to ruin her ruin her uh leadership chances because it is it, it is an emotional trigger for her for reasons that we find out in episode nine and so like it's not it, it, it is a backtrack for her character arc but it's one that's rooted in her trauma and you know like 
growth is not a straight line. Um, and I like that the show showcases that, that like Meritor has shown a lot of growth because she has been able to not push people away, but actually like form a friend group. But her, but when her triggers are still come up, she's still going to react that emotionally the same way. And what's different now is she does have people like Ransom and her friend group who are there to care about her and support her and see her for herself. But the trigger's still going to happen. Um, and so I just thought that that was, again, just a really great nuance of her character development that this season um, showcased that I think uh, I saw some people misunderstanding as like a, a lack of nuance of her character. I'm like, no, it's a deep nuance in her character. Yeah, and I, I'm looking forward to you know now that now that we've had like this big event with Mariner, you know, kind now that she went through like that growth in the cave with Ma'an and accepted mm-hmm. promotion. She's like, she is kind of like, I will finally accept some character development that I've been mm-hmm. resisting <laughs> for four seasons. I'm looking forward to the Mariner we get in season five mm-hmm. or you know whatever whatever however many more seasons of the show will happen. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever's going to be different now after, after this. Cause I, I think that, I think that things will be different for her. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't done. Sorry. <laughs> I interrupted you. Apologies, Brandon. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. That's why I didn't Because speak. I hadn't gotten, as, as, because I hadn't gotten to my favorite edition of this season. And y'all know what it's going to be. If you know me, it's Talyn. You know how I love me a Vulcan mm-hmm. and you know how I love me a Vulcan that is different from the rest of the Vulcans. And that is Talyn to a T. <laughs> See what I did there? Ah. <laughs> terrible. It was terrible. I'm so sorry. And she just, she reminds me so much of Spock in many ways. And I'm like one of the biggest Spock fans I ever since. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's kind of, I kind of keep it under wraps. You know, I try not to be so blatant about it. But yeah, if people are uh, listening still... to this, Brandy is right now like <laughs> on screen surrounded by many representations of the character, Mr. Spock. It goes all oh my. the way to ceiling, oh and my. it goes. All right, all right. Stop, stop, Spock over. teasing us now. We we get it. We get it. You're really yeah. into Spock. There's more in the living room that you can't see, but anyway. Uh, Action figures. Short, to, yeah. Uh, oh, those are on the other side of the room. The, the, the Spock corner is over there. So oh, um, this is the Spock corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this is the Spock art corner. This is, this is the spillover. Is the Spock this, action yeah, the same, the main Spock so, corner. Yeah, and then I've got a I've got a Spocktober pillow and everything. Anyway, long story short, Tillin is her own thing. Yes, she's a Vulcan, and yes, she's uh, different than the other Vulcans, and so grateful that she is. And she is figuring out her own way throughout this season, and having these these friendships kind of forced upon her mm-hmm. is probably what she thought of at first. But these people actually became her friends, and now she knows what it's like to be someone who is valued rather than someone who is constantly chastised and or tolerated at to best tolerated mm-hmm. at best yes and i can't wait to see what she does in future seasons because i think she's just brilliant and frankly she should be in the main cast y'all so aaron i, I love you making that distinction of not not just uh you know tolerated at best but you know that, that ties into you know something that gene roddenberry often talked about kind, kind of the unique thing about gene's Star Trek message of, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So I think he always kind of emphasized that it, it's not enough just to accept differences, but we must celebrate those differences. And I think yeah. that's kind that's kind of like that extra little, like, you know, that's the Roddenberry Star Trek message that's kind of, you know, kind of unique to us. And 
and yeah, that's a that, that is a you know a, definitely a, a distinction there. And I agree with you, Brandy. I think that Talyn should be in the main cast. I was so heartbroken when I had to go. I think there's there's a three episode gap. There's like a three week gap of no Talyn. No, that was kind of yeah, yeah. That's hard. And having that extra voice on there, you know, it is kind of like when you're when you're binging DS9, you get to season four, and like all of a sudden, like Worf shows up, and you get like all these characters are bouncing off of Worf, and it kind of you know it freshens up the yeah. show, and you know Voyager had that with seven to nine, and it was you know it's cool that Lower Decks is getting that with Talyn. I'm I'm not hoping mm. for. I, I want even to more allow to people to pair year. off more too, like in different combinations than we had seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was nice. Aaron, I, I want to ask you, like, if you had any, any like like big favorites in the season. But while, while we're talking about Talyn, before we get to that, I don't know. Does anyone else have big Talyn thoughts? She was a, a pretty big part of season four. I can I can talk about her a little bit more, but I I could talk about her all day, but you know, then we'll be here all day, and so you guys go. <laughs> but the 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 thing that that surprised me was kind of how that. Her and Mariner bonded so well. And I, I pointed this out when we got to it, but yeah. I mean, th- there's like, sometimes they would have sparks a little bit when, you know, she neck pinched the Cardassian and Mariner gives like the side eye and she's like, I could have handled that Cardassian. Just, I'm sure you would have tried or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> for the most part, they are kind of on the same page and they're kind of like, yeah, you're the sassy rule breaker of, you know, what it is like to be that for a human. I'm that for a Vulcan. And I like that they didn't just like, you know, butt heads constantly that, cause that would have been kind of like the obvious easy way to write a conflict between those two characters and i think what they did with like oh no they actually both kind of resonate with their little connective tissue that's the more interesting thing to to go and, and probably more true to the spirit of of the show so i i was yeah. happy to see that you just made me realize uh, a criticism i do have this season a criticism of omission because i uh i really like talena mariner's uh chemistry mm-hmm. so much so that i kind of ship it a little bit um like i could easily see that being a ship and it made me think of my criticism which is uh, no jennifer whatsoever this season yeah there was no wrap-up to that at all yeah and and especially considering that the one of the major criticisms of season three uh, from especially for many queer folks was the sort of like overly quick and un and and sort of like um un emotionally resolved um jennifer a mariner relationship that sort of like they break up in episode nine and then episode 10, like just Mariner and Jennifer just seem over, like they don't even have like a moment together, like a visual glance moment um, that Mike McMahon himself, I had interviewed him last year and he literally said that that was a mistake on his part to not have them like see each other and have like a, a moment of like recognition that there was a broken uh, relationship between the two. Um, and even in the final scene where like Mariner walks in and Jennifer's sitting there on season three and so getting to season four there was a hope of there being some level of emotional resolution there between between the two of them of like them acknowledging that you know they had they were in a relationship they broke up but we don't even get to see jennifer at all um which is kind of a kind of a little bit frustrating like i said it's it's not the end of the world but it, it brings um it brings with it a little bit of echoes of seven and raffi and the mishandling mm. of their relationship over on picard uh through all three seasons of that show um so it's it's an unfortunate uh unforced error i think by by the series so hopefully we'll see jennifer come back in season five there's still you know that's they can still pull it around um but yeah that is a sort of bit criticism that i do have of the season so and, yeah. I, and again, here for Mariner and Talyn's uh, shipping, though. Like, I'm, I think that relationship would be very interesting. Hell, if if anything, telling that story would give you an opportunity to do, like, the whole Mariner-Jennifer breakup explanation yeah. thing. But, but uh, Aaron, what, what do you got? Well, I was going to say, I agree that it would have been nice to actually see Jennifer in this season, or at least some sort of wrap-up. But I actually liked that walk through the, the, uh, the bar and not look at her, because it was sort of like, it was almost like, I know who my real friends are. You sold me out, basically. So 
And she's like, I'm not yeah. even going to take the time to look at you. But Not that she would never, but it just for that moment, it felt like she was going to the important people in her life. I get that. I think I think if I have to rewatch it, does Jennifer have a reaction to Mariner? Though? I think she she kind of okay. looks at her. Yeah. Okay. Then she that's looks at, least at her and she looks upset. Okay. She, yeah. she that looks, at least makes it she work kinda, a little it's, better. It's almost like a wince, mm-hmm. I guess, is the best way to describe it. And Jennifer has been in season four. She just doesn't get any lines. Mm. She almost get tur- gets turned into another um, Tuvix yeah. person. Oh, she's in the right. Betazoid and, episode, uh, too. She's she's in the Betazoid yeah. episode, too. So, yeah, she's there, just in the background. She doesn't get any lines. And I wonder if that's because Lauren Lapkus wasn't available. I don't know. Hmm. You know... Well, if that was the case, they they could have said something without using her character. Then, I mean, that would have been mm. possible to like have a conversation. Yeah, you so, could you could mention her. Yeah, and I will say there was queerness in this season. I mean, like um, uh, the Betazoids do sort of like reference like being attracted to women at certain points. You could even you could even like Joel is saying in the chat. I mean, like this is more for the fan fiction realm, but there is an element of queerness in the idea there being trinars instead of binars. Like that's <laughs> like a queer. Like if binar society is all about like two thing like two people together, there being a you know three person you know group is a queer version in the bi. That's a neat idea. World. Yeah, the, what would so, what would queerdom be in a in a binar society? It yeah, would... it d- yeah, more than two, that or even be, or even queer. or even one. Like even one would probably yeah, be seen as a one. queerness. Yeah. Um, as well. Yeah. yeah. Basically, anything but two would be seen as queer because it's all in the name of binar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like stop being so binary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I like the trinar group with the the betazoids it was also she said you know it's like how's the the quadrants most eligible captain she's like i'm still married but it's like the fact that she was the one like hitting on her so i was like that yeah that was great yeah i did like that i mean i think i think all star trek should go under the assumption that everyone is some form of uh uh pansexual until proven otherwise <laughs> well ransom did say it was the horniest and the least romantically committed in ship <laughs> yeah. in the fleet so that was a weird that's thing to probably say why. <laughs> It is a weird thing to say, but it, yeah, it's like the only Star Trek show where like no you one say that no one well, yeah like well it's like it's true like no one on that ship other than Freeman seems to be in like a like a marriage so and he's not there yeah, I mean I mean I mean Ransom is churrosexual quite clearly so <laughs> no, that was a thing uh, the churro doll there is no yeah. churro doll in season four unfortunately but uh, but Aaron was was there any like uh, like episodes or moments or characters or anything that really stood out as a favorite for you. There were a lot of little moments that were my favorite that just still make me just crack up. Like in in Tuvix, the uh, safety protocol set to random. <laughs> it's just like random. No computer set them to safety. <laughs> like I don't know why that just made me crack up. Just the it idea sounds like that, something uh, someone would say that like on the spot. They'd be like, "No, that's not yeah. right. Safety is right." You know, like mm-hmm. yeah. Like what would random be? Like why would you ever use that? I guess like you know, it's like Russian roulette with the holodeck, um, mm-hmm. and then. In the Cradle of Vexilon, when uh, Boimler is doing his confidence uh, boosting uh, ritual, um, you know, to, he's like, "No, no, no! I was just checking, checking this. The it's like the the hardware. It's like a, he's like Boimler did in, and there's like this horrible like feedback. And he's like, ah! <laughs> it's just like I don't know because it was a technical thing. Like they don't really make fun of the technology a lot. So I thought that was that was great. But yeah, you know, obviously I loved the Vendorians seeing that from the animated series and like literally like tripling the lore about, about the race. But I think one thing we're really forgetting that kind of changes everything in Star Trek is in the inner fight, Rutherford finds out the pants have pockets. I know! That changes <laughs> everything! Yeah. Oh my god. 
It also makes me feel better about in my improv, I had pockets and I would occasionally put my hands in there and like take them out because like they're not supposed to have pockets, but no, they are. So uh, um, making canon yeah. better for all cosplayers. Po- pockets are canon now, but I I typically cosplay Starfleet uniforms and pants with pockets because I have like a wallet and keys and stuff to carry. Yeah, I mean, even if you're a Starfleet officer, you've got to have yeah. stuff to carry. You need pockets. What if you pick up something from there? Like, where does it go? Yeah, yeah, but. exactly. Need pockets. Really quickly, piggybacking off the Talyn thing, what I, I loved her her eye acting. Basically, just the side glances and just every like. Mm. She said so much with just that, and it's funny because it's like it's it's a white circle with a dot, you know. <laughs> it's just like it's not really that expressive. Um, but if you noticed when Logiki like was born, whatever, he has the same eye movements as her. It's like it's like they just <laughs> replicated that into the the uh, the super logic uh, badgie, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I wonder if they just have like a file, like the animators have a file, and it's just like Vulcan just eyes, eye express expressions or whatever. It would be like labeled know. as like. But they just Maybe. pull whatever they need from that when they have Vulcans. And like, oh, logic will just go to like the Vulcan resources. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Probably. one of my favorite Talyn moments for, with her eyes was when Boimler gets killed. And she, with all the rest of them, she's just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it was just fantastic. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't move. She just. She is so great in that episode because like before the beta zoid, she does not care about. She doesn't care about the Cerritos. Like, she doesn't, like, if Boimler dies in front of her and doesn't get revived, like, you know, she's not happy about it. She's a Vulcan. She's not going to be happy. But she's not sad about it either. She's very, <laughs> yeah. she's just very, like, just does not give a shit at all about anything well, going on. Like, oh, well, I guess this proves that the, 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 the uh, statistics are right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I, I, I really love her. I think her character is great. Uh, oh, and the one last thing of her, her eye acting. And, uh, the finale when Boimler is stands up like as they're hitting the they're pushing the the ship through whatever and she looks at him like why are you standing up and then he just goes <laughs> it's like three frames but it's just he could just like that was a mistake <laughs> so I thought that was great he was in the moment he was yeah. just in the moment what well, was nice that he was super together and as a captain said but we got that one fraction of a moment it was like nope it's still Boimler. Yeah, yeah, Boimler's gonna Boimler, you know, so he's, yeah. he's still gonna be Boims at the end of the day. I also I uh, kind of identify with uh, Boimler. <laughs> that was me in high school a lot. That's me And now. still now, but yeah. <laughs> I just a little, hide it a little bit better. <laughs> Unless I get super stressed and then watch out. <laughs> you know what, my, my big Boimler moment this year when I like related to him, it actually wasn't in Lower Decks, but it was in Strange New Worlds. When he's when he's uh, talking to Chapel in the turbo <laughs> lift, when he's just like... But Spock was never happy. There, I've I've read every book about him. He he never like fell in love and lived happily ever. And like and then he, like he realized like oh no, what am I doing? Oh, I was no. like I always feel like oh I just said the exact most incredibly wrong thing I could possibly say in the moment. <laughs> but I realized that about like twenty seconds after I've said it. So that was that was my Boimler moment from this year. Yeah, I guess we should have included that episode because that feels like it's part of part of. <laughs> Although star date wise, we figured out that takes place in season three, right before they go to Deep Space Nine, and that's why they were on a planet near like oh, Bajoran right. and Cardassian space when they were trying to decipher that language because they were on their they were on their way wow, to the Deep Space Nine episode. For all the people <laughs> who say that the writers don't pay attention, it's like that's that's a detail that like who is going to find that out besides us? You know, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, Lower Decks really cares about star dates. Uh, probably the only show that does, but they do care. 
They do. The start dates are important to Mike McMahon because when he wrote his like uh, season eight book mm. for TNG, or I guess he started that on Twitter, but the idea behind that was that it would all take place in the, there is like a year in between all good things and Star Trek Generations that a fictional oh. season of TNG could have existed in so he's always been like a pretty eagle-eyed when it comes to the star dates did anyone have any other uh final thoughts on uh, on lower decks season four before we uh, bring out the mike mcmahon interview yeah i sure do i think that it's really difficult to keep setting the bar higher every every season and yet they continue to do it and I don't know if it's ever going to top off. I feel like Mike McMahon is the kind of person that can just keep raising that bar. And I'm here for it. I I just appreciate everything that this show has brought us. And I can't wait to see what they bring us next. Yeah, well, uh, it, and Mike does talk a little bit about some season five stuff uh, in, in this interview. Just, uh, I guess, like my own Final thoughts on on season four is I I think season three and four both I, I I prefer those over seasons one and two of the show and I think just it just kind of needed time to establish itself and when once it had its own identity and started leaning onto onto its own history as much as the history of the other shows I think is when it really like hit its potential and uh, you know th- that being said like. The show, it has, now that we are seeing like the characters grow, it is kind of about like people, kind of like the specific time in life, you know, when you're, I guess it's not about like youth or adolescence, but it's like that early, like adulthood, like kind of like your first like big job after college. I don't know. It's probably like kind of a conventional way to frame it for a lot of people, but that's, I, I feel like in order for the show to like allow those characters to grow, what we can't do is just like have like you know, 10 seasons of stagnation. And I don't know what the, the future of these characters are, but uh, I, what I would like to see is like, I would like to see like a satisfying ending to the lower deck story. And I don't know if that will be, if season five will be the end or if it'll be six or seven. I don't think it will, would go more, but, but I, I, I would like to see like the show, like avoid like the Smallville thing. Like, oh, we took like a show about like Clark Kent in high school and milked 10 seasons out of it and kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to see that, but I don't, I don't want to say like no more. So I, I don't know what I, I really want for like the future of it. If I want like Lower Decks to end, but then like we check in on like these characters that, uh, you know, we, Al, uh, Alex Kurtzman says he wants to do like these, spinoff movies these made for streaming movies so i maybe that would be like a good vehicle for it or, or whatever but yeah okay I, I think that that all the, you know, the characters are growing up i think they should kind of have like trajectories of you know where, wherever their end game is going to be for like the story like I, I just hope that like they're they're able to get there and I'm, we're in like the back half of the show's lifespan i feel like now after season four so i, I think it's uh, i think it's time for you know the people like you know making the show to kind of start thinking about like what what would be satisfying for for how these things are ending? So, um, but all that being said, uh, let's uh, bring on Star Trek Lower Decks creator and showrunner Mike McMahon. Mike, uh, how the hell are you doing today? I'm good. I'm I'm having a good week because we aired the uh, Lower Decks season four finale, which is always always feels like a triumph when we get a whole season out there, you know. And getting to see everybody's responses has been amazing. So it's been uh, it's been a good couple of days. Yeah, I'm sure that's like real rewarding. Like how how long does season four like sit with you from like, you know, you, you first start working on it to like now when it's finally like all said and done, it's all laid to rest. It's like a little over a year. It's like, you know, you work, we start writing in like March and then it airs, you know, late summer the year after. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but you know, what's nice is that while one show is being worked on, we're working on the next season. So I'm already thickened on season five. 
So you, you're working on season five and then you're seeing the episodes drop as you've been working on them. You know, the last things we do is, is sound editing and, and, you know, all the final animation fixes. So it's almost like, it's almost like, Oh, this thing that you're writing on the page right now, look, you're seeing it. You're seeing last year's that on screen and, and it's, it's sort of motivating. Let me ask you some, some questions about season four uh, now that it is uh, here and we can all see it and celebrate it. Uh, but the, I guess the big thing this season was the promotions, the big uh, status quo shift, you know, the focus on ensigns on the lowest rank for officers in Starfleet was, that was always a big part of the show's identity. Was that scary to shake it up so much by like introduce, introducing promotions? It was scary, but it was scary because you're really only ever thinking about character and what stories can I tell? And you don't want to limit either. And originally I was going to promote everybody end of season four, maybe end of season five. And we started talking about the kind of stories I wanted to tell. And it made me realize, you know, another important part about, about making any show is that you want to keep people surprised and engaged. And I didn't want the stories to feel similar to what we'd already done and our characters had come so far. So, you know, I was a little nervous at the very beginning of writing about promoting them at the end of the first episode, especially because it's a packed episode. And you know, third acts of Lower Decks, like you, there's never enough time. You know, you want more time for promotions. You want more time for for characters to apologize for what they did in the episode. But like, <laughs> we've only got like, you know, under 23 minutes most of the time. So it's like, ah, like we spent too much time in space having fun. Now we got to, the apologies <laughs> go fast, you know, but the uh, the promotions, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't afraid of the promotions once we did it because that was such fertile storytelling opportunities after that, you know, that it, it went from being like stories in your twenties when you're like the lowest person on the food, on the food chain at work to being stories where you and all your friends are slowly, slowly advancing in your careers. And it, you think that's going to be rewarding, but it brings a host of new problems, you know? And uh, once those stories were, were getting clear to me, I was like very happy that we did it. Because these characters deserve it. They've been through a lot, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a complaint, you know, other Star Trek shows get when characters seem... I mean, Harry Kim, the most famous one, but... Yeah, I know. Well, it's also like Star, Starfleet's system of promotions and, and ranks, and it's such a head-scratcher anyway that, like, I would rather you be all enjoying... I'm sure every Star Trek showrunner has always said this. We'd rather you be enjoying the show than trying to figure out you know, the rank system, like leave that for kind of like <laughs> the, you know, the same, the same way that like you love br- blueprints. Like we love to f- talk about this stuff and figure it out. But like when you're watching the show, you just want to enjoy the show, you know? Yeah. Well, I also love that the, we're getting more about the, the upper decks as well. Good to see like seeing Carol Freeman become like a really good captain. That's what it was so nice about the season. Actually, we had mentioned uh, last no, beginning of this year, I said I would love to see more about Jack because Jack is sort of like a little bit of a more one-dimensional mm-hmm. character. But like, and as soon as I said that, it's like that—that's what I love about Lower Decks is—is is what I think about, and then suddenly it's like it happens, as opposed to other shows that it might go a different direction. So it's yeah, like we you're try on the same to defy, <laughs> we try to defy expectations, right? And like, you want to love Jack because you love Jerry. You know, Jerry's yeah. performance is so funny, and over time, like, yeah, originally Jack was written as kind of this like kind of kind of you know, unlikable sort of foil. But then as you're writing him as also being a Starfleet officer, even in first season, it starts creeping in that he like, his motivations are good, you know? And in a way, a lot of the bridge officers, 
they're all great at their job. There's just things that were keeping them from expressing that. Like Captain Freeman's always been a good captain. She's just been too focused on appearances, you know, and as she got more confident, her, she's able to be the captain that was always there. Like, it's important to me that like the goodness of all of these characters, they're all Starfleet. You know what I mean? And it's just, you get in your own way. Sometimes you have to be, I I keep using the phrase unburdened. A lot of these characters get unburdened by the stuff they used to think Mm. were important, was important. And it reveals that it allows them to be the best, you know? That is really cool. I do have a question about the the senior staff is good at their job. I, I think we've seen we've seen a lot of that, especially like this season, except for yeah. one character in particular. So so Magumo, yeah. like he's 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 a lot of fun. There's some funny stuff with him in the finale where I yeah. kind of thought he was going to have like a finally like Maglimo's big victory. But I don't <laughs> he I've never seen him like be like good at therapy. Is, is that something that, that's that's going to happen in the show? I think Miglimo weirdly is kind of good at therapy. Like we've okay. seen when he was, when he was talking to Tendi about, you know, speaking truth for science, like we've seen a couple moments of him shine. The thing is like, it's hard, it's hard to write a comedic story called a guy goes to a good therapist and it works. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. like some, sometimes that happens, but that's why you just don't see Miglimo solving these problems all the time. It's more yeah. like, and also therapists aren't, aren't, you know, they don't cauterize your problems. You know what I mean? Like therapists, it's, it's, it's it, a it's process you go to and, and it's, you have to keep going to, it's like exercise. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I kind of think like, yeah, you, you could say that Miglimo is not, is not, you know, rolling in there to solve a bunch of problems, but at the same time, you know, Boimler, Boimler clearly goes to Miglimo all the time. Like every, I think all these <laughs> characters have, have a weekly stop in with Miglimo that kind of we're not seeing, but that mental health and, and, and respect for mental health care is like, is like a baseline that everybody in Starfleet is doing. And it's only when there's things that like, you know, you have to be an active participant and a willing participant for that kind of stuff to work. So like Mariner is only going to tell some stuff to a Klingon and a K, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she's not telling, she's not unloading that stuff to Miglimo. She's not telling that stuff to Boimler. So yeah, I think, look, Miglimo's funny. But I think deep down, like the stuff we're not seeing with Miglimo is he's actually not terrible. Well, that, that is, I guess, implied with Boimler's being like, oh, no, I'm going to have to start over with the new therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Miglimo's gross. <laughs> he eats <laughs> a lot of bugs. Um, and uh, I just think the way Paul F. plays Miglimo makes me like him. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. you don't want to punch down on me. I'd be like. That's yeah. why I'm like, no, leave Miglimo alone. I, I love everybody on the Cerritos, you know? Th- that casting was crazy, by the way. We all w- witnessed that in, in real yeah, time. On Twitter. On Twitter. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's classic. Classic, uh, you know, Star Trek Lower Decks was born on Twitter as TNG Season 8, and Miglimo was cast on Twitter. And we found Pawnee. They're Pawnee. We found Pawnee <laughs> through her podcast, you know? Like, yeah. it's amazing the avenues that, that we've found some people. Actually, that relates to the question that uh, our friend Rachel had. And she was like, how do you find an actress who isn't working anymore? Like w- when you reached out to um, the actress who played Cito, because oh, she's yeah, been yeah. off for a while. Yeah. yeah so is- sometimes, I mean, Shannon was hard. So, you know, sometimes people still have reps and like they just mm-hmm. haven't worked for a long time, but they've stayed in touch. Other times they're at the convention circuit, you know? Right. And so I can just call John Van Sitters and be like, Hey, would you mind putting me in touch or what's their preferred method? Um, I've actually gone through Frakes a couple times oh. because Jonathan Frakes loves lower decks and is 
is both a huge fan and just like loves the show and loves being a part of it. So like if I have a really tough time, I'll reach out to Jonathan and he'll, he'll put me in touch with somebody, you know, like that's happened, I think a couple times now. Um, and then for Shannon was tough because I don't think she's, she switched careers and has been doing, um, uh, uh, she's been working in, in, um, in medical. She's been mm -hmm. working with, uh, uh, palliative is that how you pronounce it? Um, she works with people who are who are uh, dying of cancer. Oh yeah, palliative care. Like, yeah, she works with I think in in like underprivileged communities, and she's wow. She's up in in I think like uh, Central California, and just hadn't hadn't been a part of this world since 1995. But I was like, we're finding her. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're finding her, and and between our our CBS casting, our shows casting. And really Brad Winters kind of led the charge on that. Oh, like okay. we tracked her down and God, I'm so happy we did. Cause she's such a small part of this episode, but she's so important to the finale yeah. and working with her. We're now friends with her. And she, she's like, she feels like this is magic. You know what I mean? And I, and once the strike is over, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we get her with people to talk about the experience of like going from 1995 to 2022 and being nice. like, you know, suddenly coming back, but like, what a joy to work with her. We're still like, we still chat with her. Brad texts with her all the time. She watches lower decks on her elliptical. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's just so cute. And, and her performance was great. And she's such a lovely person that we were like, Brad and I were both like, you need to come out and promote the show with us, but you also need to talk about all the work you do and like spread the word about that because yeah, like, sure. Yeah. That's like Star Trek stuff. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's so Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, our audiences would would want to like hear about that, and people would probably like be curious about getting involved. So for sure, mm -hmm. yeah, we need we need to get her out in the spotlight. That is, that is great, so cool. Great. I'm like, let's take you to a convention. Let's go. Yeah. People would yeah. flip. Encinito, get out of here. Yeah, creation. Y'all need to have her at Vegas next year. Yeah, to make it happen. Hundred percent. I have a friend who cosplays as Isido, so she would be like totally thrilled, like be able to I take a picture with her. I did a whole episode. I did a whole season arc about her. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, it's funny. Also, real, real quick, related to that, we were noticing that Rachel and I were watching the the finale, and it's just like, wait, because we always joke that we forget the the other character in the Nova Squad, Jean Hadar. You, or, you told me her name an hour ago, Aaron, and I already yes, uh, jo Joshua I Albert. I, I can remember forever. He, like we never even saw the dude in yeah. First Duty. I have never forgotten that name, Joshua Albert. But yeah, I poor Jean. Yeah. And then we're just like. Wait, she's not there. And then we realized in the faraway shot, she's yeah. there. She like basically waves and runs away. Yeah. So yeah. that was great. Yeah, we try to get everybody in there, you know? Like we yeah. try to uh we try to do it right, you know? We're like uh we're like noble raisin farmers just tilling Star Trek <laughs> from the soil. Like you know, American made, we have pride in our work and and we're trying to honor things from uh the 90s <laughs> that we loved. Let, let me ask you about the the raisin farming. Uh, speaking of of Boimler, uh, that that was fun to see the the Boimler Rutherford kind of bromance roomy situation going on in in season four. I don't pants. know if there's like I don't know if there's like a ton like uh, other than that like that that Boimler was was doing in, in the season. Uh, I, I think he might have had like a little less screen time than maybe some like the earlier years. So I'm wondering like are are you saving ideas? You said you're you're cooking up stuff for season five and I know that there's a lot of stuff you can't tell us about, but is is there gonna be more of a, a Boimler focus in, in a season five arc than we had in season four maybe? Yeah, there's a really you know it's funny because like I want Boimler every episode. I want everybody every episode. And it's you know I think that's the some of the end of the season because it became 
sort of a bigger Mariner story. Like there isn't as much uh-huh. Boimler at the end. But in season five, without giving it away, there's a bit more Boimler in season five than than we followed in season four. Okay. There's possibly multiple Boimlers. I know there's a there's a, another <laughs> uh, around. So. Well, there's been multiple Boimlers for years now, right? Uh, yeah. I know we do got to check in on William Boimler at some point. What's he up to? His yeah. working with his secret Starfleet department. <laughs> Of course, I'm sure people thought that he was going to be part of this finale too. So it's just like that was one of the the things that people threw out, and yeah. the whale probe. But that was another. We had one a lot of people, people guessing a lot of stuff, and yeah. I couldn't believe nobody even stumbled into Lacarno, ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it that what I like about that is that we didn't think about it. I was genuinely surprised, and I think that yeah. it's hard to do. Like when we're at this level of fandom, sometimes just like okay, we we figure it out or whatever. But that's still fun. But when you don't know, it's just like oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the Locarno stuff is made to be watched the second time. Like, it's all there, but you're not writing a season of TV in order to... It's not like an Encyclopedia Brown where it's like a riddle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we didn't want people to know what was coming. We wanted people to be surprised. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so if it had just been Badgie or, or somebody that we've already told everybody multiple times is, you know, is an antagonist to these characters, then yeah. it just would have been a linear sort of thing. You know, yeah, it was it was a nice surprise with Locarno as as the reveal, and I guess what was the he, he seems like such like a great fit for Lower Decks as like a big bad type character. What was the genesis, no pun intended, for kind of like <laughs> that 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 idea of using him? Well, I had known that I wanted Mariner to have been affected by the Dominion War, and I knew that I wanted to somehow tie the original Lower Decks episode to Lower Decks, and there were a lot of different ways to do it, and I was always kind of just being careful because I don't. I don't like to directly tie canon stuff that came before us, you know, unless it's like exocomps or, you know, uh, or or like little, you know, going back to planets, Landru, like I, you brought back the Vendorians. Well, then yeah, the the original animated series, I love bringing back because when I started uh, lower decks, a lot of people didn't even bring up the original animated series when they talked about, Star Trek as they didn't even friend. know it existed. A lot of people they weren't allowed crazy. to for yeah. for a while. Like Ron Moore said, like they like they didn't want them putting animated series stuff into uh, Deep Space Nine, and they were kind of secretly doing it anyways. But I know, and I love I love the animated series. So that was always my goal was Lower Decks can't be like that. Like our goal is to just not be erased from being one of the things that you talk about when you talk yeah. about the franchise, which I think we've accomplished at this point. <laughs> and then um, at the same time. If, if we're effective in that, bring the original animated series stuff into it, which m- then lends our necessity to them as well, which is what I was hoping we would do. Because uh, if on Lower Decks, we love all Star Trek. There's no Star Trek that we're not down for, you know? And fans can argue what's the best, what's the worst, what counts, what doesn't count. <laughs> but like, if, you're, if you've got Star Trek in the name, if you're, you know, if you're produced by this franchise, then that's a treasure to us, you know? And that's what Lower Decks... That's what the characters in Lower Decks think, because that's what I think, you know? And I love that you bring in stuff from the books occasionally and just things that are not you know, necessarily on screen all the time. Or Zahn. That's still my favorite, like, random <laughs> mention. Like, it's the character that never that's, existed. <laughs> I love that joke. And, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm not as deep in, like, the comics and the books and stuff. But when I know I need something and there's a design or a reference that existed in, what do they call it? Like, beta canon? Something like that? Beta canon, like, yeah if there's something that just works and it doesn't change like the main canon and we can, we can fully canonize it. That's yeah. the best. Cause it's like, 
you know, we've all seen that happen. Like, like there's a reason that like people are so pumped for Thrawn. You know what I mean? It's because like we read those books in the nineties when there was no star Wars anymore. And it's cool that that thing that was important to us became a part of, you know, the main canon. And so like having like ideas that are in books and comics aren't, aren't worth less than ideas that are made on screen. So I like, I like finding that stuff and kind of like saying, yeah, anything's possible. As long, as long as it fits into Canon, like a great idea in Star Trek is a great idea. I was so happy when you finally made the Luna class design for the Titan <laughs> Canon way back in C because that wasn't a that Canon was cool, right? design yeah. until, yeah, until well, it's all a the great design too. I mean, like, oh, I love it. Easy, easy choice to make. Cause beautiful design mm-hmm. loved the backstory for it. Like what a scrappy lower decks, like a contest winning design, you yeah. know, like that's just cool. And so, plus just seeing it swoop in and, and having having Riker have his own ship and having it on screen, like it, it it just felt it just felt like a cool extension of what I loved from TNG. And speaking of beta canon, really quickly, I worked on Star Trek Adventures and we we retrofitted the the Spock two's death. We we actually worked it in, so now we how, awesome. how it happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, everybody got mad at me for Spock two's death. I'm like, guys. What? People die. I, like, I was I was at the season two premiere, and you're just like he's very old. He's, <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, I didn't invent that Spock had bones. <laughs> like, right. <come> yeah. <laughs> Mike, I don't I don't know if you if you heard about this, but at the I, I know you were there at the Mission Chicago convention in 2022, yeah, I, I yep. think last year. But uh, Walter here. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. In, that was like so long ago. It was April this year. I wish we had. Yeah, it was April of last year, but uh, Walter Koenig was there, and uh, I asked him during his panel if he knew about Spock 2 made a return in, in Lower Decks, and he didn't know that, but he thought that was amazing. He was he was very he was <laughs> surprised. He was like, really? Like, all 40 feet of that big that dude? Awesome. Was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, like, he was dead hanging up on display, but he was like, he was like that's effing amazing. That's like, awesome. He, he was I really mean, into it. The Legacy cast, they, I've never seen a fan, like, they're fans too. They love it. It's been a part of their lives for so long. And like, they know their stuff, you know, it's really interesting. I love that. Like when I got to work with Takei, like he made me laugh like 15 <laughs> times in that record. Like he's so freaking funny. And it just really speaks to like why we love these, these, these characters that they perform. Like they really imbued them with, with personality. And speaking of bones, did you think that Moopsie was going to be as insanely popular yeah. as it was? Uh, no, because I mean, it's it's you never predict that stuff. Like yeah. it's because uh, that happened to me a couple times on Rick and Morty too, where I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I thought that was funny, but now the whole world thinks that's funny. That's crazy." Um, uh, Moopsie was like a funny combination of like, you know, we knew the story we had to tell with Mariner, so we mm-hmm. needed something in there that would cause the audience and ransom to think Mariner had released it. I really wanted it to be uh, a cute creature that also drank bones. Cause I loved the movie deep rising when I was, when I was a teenager, Oh wow. the, the, the creature in that drinks your bones. Yeah. I think there's even a line where it's like, somebody's like, you don't understand. It drinks you, you know, or something that was in the trailer. And I always thought that was so funny. That was one of those like all underwater shows. There was the Abyss, Deep Rising. Uh, well, yeah, this was very like oh, uh, it was like this and Anaconda. You know what I mean? Like things yeah. that he do, the movie and creature features. So, and then it was kind of like, oh, let's 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 have a cute little character that that you would believe the audience would believe that Mariner might release because she didn't realize how dangerous it was. You know, 
Yeah. Like that was the instinct on that. And then the character designer is like, we just kept like putting less and less detail in it. Cause like the less detail, the cuter it would look. And then um, we, when, when we did the temp audio for it, our, uh, our editor's uh, kid did the voice of it. And it was just so <laughs> funny that we were like, we got to keep that kid as the voice. Cause it was making oh, us funny. And then the, uh, and then the board artists like added the physicality of it, that it like walks like a little, yeah, like, like, like moves around like a little, like, like seal pup kind of. So, you know, the funny thing about Moopsie is like, it's one of the, it's not the reason I just blah, blah, blah about all that stuff is what I love about why Moopsie works is it was created as a story point. Right. And mm-hmm. then the writers put together like a name and stuff, but then the artist came up with the look and the editor came up with the sound and, oh, wow. and then like, you know, the way it moved came together. So like, it wasn't this calculated, like people are going to like this. It was yeah. purely storytelling and design and all of these things that come together that result collaborative in it works. Yeah. And it's like, that feels like an honest, like, you know, that feels like it, it doesn't feel like a corporate sort yeah. of like, it feels like an organic way of finding something that speaks to people. So when people love the Moopsie, I'm like, that's, that's great. You know, it just means that we've, we've, we're doing our, we're doing it right. You know? Yep. Yeah, that, that's crazy that it did get so big so fast. Like I saw multiple. It wasn't just like a few people were doing this. A lot of people were like dressing their kids up as I love these for Halloween. I also saw people dressed as uh, twin twains for Halloween, which made me laugh out loud. Oh, wow. A Rutherford <laughs> twain and a Boimler twain, which that, uh, that was great. Where did that idea come from? Like, is that, is that like have, is that rooted in something in real life? Like, just yeah, dressing up as Mark Twain and talking like that to each other to, to get yeah. along. Like, have you never done that? I've I've never no that, that that's never occurred to me as an option. Your unsolvable arguments. I guess I I guess I need to start dressing up as uh, <laughs> Listen, famous. Listen, you get uh, two people dressed characters. up as Samuel Clemens. There's no arguing. There's only agreeing. So highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm surprised. What's funny is that they know in their we don't know what Mark Twain actually sounded like because we have no recordings. But in their universe, they do know what Mark Twain sounds like. Yeah, he and visited the universe. Foghorn yeah. Leghorn. Yeah. Listen. But. Uh, uh, Mark Twain and Samuel Clemens is in us all. You know what I mean? You just have to let it out. And if you're ever really coming up against something, just pull out those mustaches and a mint julep and 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 just twain it up. All right. It's it's part of it's part of Roddenberry's original Twain-esque vision of Starfleet officers. You know? Mm. There's no there's no interpersonal conflict when you're on a riverboat. Hashtag Twain it up. Uh, we, we, <laughs> spe- speaking of those those old uh, legacy uh, actors, uh, we need to get George Takei and William Shatner to to <laughs> twin Twain. Uh, I think that would help him. I think that would help him. Although, I would almost I almost feel like the, the way they talk about each other, we would be losing something if they started getting along. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a beautiful. It's a beautiful relationship. The, the rivalry is a national treasure. That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta keep that. It's a resource. We have to. We need to tap into it. And power. The- <laughs> yeah, that, that's better than antimatter. Yeah, that, that's how we, yeah. we're going to get warp drive. We need to bottle it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, Mike, let me let me ask you about some of the the other uh, Star Trek shows other than than Lower Decks. If I can deviate for a, a second, uh, we've, we've had some really cool you know nods to the other current shows on on your show. That we had the Rito shirt instead of like the Disco shirt. Yeah, they're, they're, they're name dropping Admiral Picard, the Strange yeah. New Worlds crossover this year, of course. Yeah, that was Would, amazing. I- any chance we might see like some some reference to uh, to Star Trek Prodigy? You know, that that show is kind of a it had a bit of a journey this year, but yeah. 
Well, Prodigy is tough because I love those guys, but they're in a different quadrant and they're a little after us. So that stuff hasn't yeah. happened. Our characters wouldn't know about the protostar. Like, you know, I, the same thing happens with disco where like our characters aren't supposed to know about disco. So like every once in a while I put <laughs> a species in or a nod, like the shirt. Cause like the shirt on disco seemed like it could be fleet wide at one point. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, didn't seem right. like something they weren't allowed to know about, but I really try not to break the bubble of what would, what is like, that's why we haven't had enterprise characters, you know, on lower decks, like to Paul would just would have, would have been the one that could have maybe sort of survived that long, you know, like it's, um, she would have been like a McCoy in the first episode of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even, even then that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch. Bit of a yeah. stretch. And then, um, and then other times I try not to break that stuff. And I'm also trying to be careful to not do stuff that the other shows are currently doing. So like, Prodigy is still defining itself and I don't want, mm. you know, to do anything that steps on what they're doing in a way. Like it's easier to talk about Deep Space Nine, which is what it is. It's fully complete. It's there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I kind of dip a toe in the other stuff, but like, it's all out of caution. You know, Picard takes place mm -hmm. four years after us. Um, the, the section 31 stuff is kind of like off of our radar. Like there's, you know, I get to read and see everything that they're making, but it really is just out of uh, an abundance of caution. And then I've got a split in a minute, guys. So are there any last minute lightning rounds you want for me? <laughs> uh, I have, I can do one final question unless, unless Aaron has something. Nope, you're good. Go ahead. Mike, just uh, let me ask you, like, have have you met uh, Todd Stashwick, who was like a big delight on Star Trek Picard this year? A fellow, as, as he's a self-proclaimed dipshit from Chicago. Uh, <laughs> it Like, I think he's a super funny dude. Any chance we might have like a younger Liam Shaw or maybe like Todd Stashwick as a different character or something in Lower Decks. I don't know if you've met him, but y'all should talk. He's a really funny guy. He's a really funny guy. Um, and his son is an artist and, and is in the animation world. So I've, I've yes. talked to him a little bit about that. I haven't been able to hang out with him, I don't think. Um, I know Tawny knows him from her days as a Chicago comedy person, too. Yeah, they were and funny on the cruise together. That's what I heard, yeah. And and uh, I know Tawny has a lot of affection for him. I, I missed Tawny and Todd because I was at Second City in, like, 2004. And I think Tawny started 2006. Like, we missed each other by a couple of years. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, right now we don't have young Shaw, but like, I do think the timeline works out pretty well. So yeah. maybe someday. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking time to chat yes, with thank us. You. Thank you. Really no, appreciate you guys, it. Of course. Happy to do so. Aaron, always good to talk to you. Good talk to nice. you. Nice to meet you, fathery. That was so cool to hear Mike <laughs> McMahon say fathery. That was, that, that, just, that just made my day. <laughs> thank you, sir. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Right. Thanks for having Bye. me. Adios. Bye. And we are back. But, uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, Mike McMahon, for coming and talking Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 with us. I thought that was uh, interesting to hear him talk about kind of one of the big themes in the show was characters unburdening themselves. And, you know, something, something Aaron, you talked about how the some of the senior officers and, and particularly Captain Freeman have really, you know, stepped it up this season. And Mike talking about, yeah, yeah because, you know, she's she unburdened that that junk stuff that wasn't the stuff that she used to think was important, but it wasn't actually important. And when she learned to let go of it, you yeah. know, she, she became like a better, happier person. So I'm looking forward to seeing like the Mariner who's now kind of unburdened from her, you know, whole Encinito Jaxa baggage. So I'm looking forward to what that, that spells for her. But I don't know it's what interesting to think. go back and watch earlier episodes with that in your head, that that's what she's yeah. frustrated about. And it's like, Oh, okay. That kind of makes more sense now. 
Yeah, for sure. And the the McLemo stuff, we got to ask him about, like, why does McLemo always yeah. seem to suck at his job? And I, I like hearing that. <laughs> like, oh, he's actually good, but the good therapy is not funny, so we don't show you that part. Yeah. Oh, good therapy can be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it can be, just harder to... That, that is funny, seeing, like, the, the people who watch the video of it, the cardboard wharf pointing a phaser at him the, the entire <laughs> interview. Like, he's, like, like, we were holding him prisoner or something, forcing him to do this. Do the interview. It will be honorable. <laughs> the the moopsy thing, how that was a team effort, and the the, the animator's cool. kid was they just kind of had like a temp voice on there. And they're like, "This is so funny. We have to keep it." That totally reminds me of the uh, young Spock yeah. from TAS, who where they did the you know interview uh, the audition basically, and then like they liked it so much they just used it. Yeah, they auditioned the kid, and they're like, "Well, shit, we can just yeah, just cut him a check. This is good enough." Yeah, they're like, "When do we come back in?" Like, oh no, you don't need to come back in. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Brandy, what do you think? Any any thoughts? I really enjoyed that. I loved hearing the evolution of Moopsy. That was fun. And I appreciate his insight onto what he likes to include and what he doesn't mm-hmm. want to step on. And mm-hmm. that's that's really so smart. It really is. And I just have a lot of respect for the guy. And I just, uh, I'm so glad you guys got to talk to him for that long. It was just really cool to uh, to hear you guys. We would have all talked longer if he had actual time. He's like, now that the strike was over for him, it was just like, meeting, meeting, meeting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard to kind of uh, coordinate that. But uh, hopefully we, we get him back at some point in the in the future. Yeah. I know Aaron and I are both uh, cooking up uh, content. I know that Aaron is... Uh, He's working on some some drawn to trek ideas, and I've yep. been I, I'm about to bring Dave out of uh, banishment. I know I've I've gotten reports from <laughs> cryo sleep. Yeah, pe- people in the text trek audience are, are missing are missing Dave, so we are going to bring him back aboard the starship Texas in December. I can I can now announce that uh, both uh, text trek and I, I believe drawn to trek as well will will be uh, on hiatus for at least the next two weeks for the rest of yeah. the rest of november t- taking it off for thanksgiving so but yeah um, make sure that you're following both shows and uh we'll we'll keep you updated uh but uh text trek number 268 is uh currently scheduled for december 1st and uh, dave and i will take a look back at all of star trek in 2023 now that we've we've gotten everything we're gonna get at least as far as the shows there might be a, some some comic stuff i don't think there's i don't think there's any books coming out in the next two months but i, I could uh, be wrong i don't think so whatever whatever is coming out though i guess dave and i will possibly talk about it but the uh the bigger thing even bigger than the cool cooler than the 2023 in review but on december 15th uh this is uh this is a big announcement here it will be the premiere of the the first and uh probably last there should never be another one but the text trek christmas special which i am uh, working <laughs> on um it's uh david i just got this figured out it's gonna be a lot of work oh but i got a month and i think i can pull it off but i think I, it's something a little it's gonna be very different from anything we've done before but i think i think people will like it and i'm gonna i'm gonna ask brandy and aaron both if they can uh if, if they can contribute because i'm gonna have some i'm gonna have some collaborations so some but I think I think y'all will like it. So more more on that to come in the future. Uh, now that's all I got. But uh, we'll have a lot of uh, a lot of new content uh, next year in the year to come. Now that now that the strikes are over, people are going to be making new Star Trek. So all kinds of, all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, 
But thanks, people who checked us out tonight, whether you were watching or listening, we appreciate it. And thank you to the uh, Text Trek Patreon supporters who make the uh, weekly live show possible. Starfleet Sohel, Cake is Eternal, Crazy Dutchy, Joanne Robertson, John Da, Geek Filter, Earl Grey Trekkie, Quarksbar, Benjunium, Stephanie Durantas, Matthew Averett, Braxton, Chuck A, and our anonymous supporters. Thank each and every one of you so much. Uh, come back December 1st for the return of Dave and Star Trek in 2023 retrospective. And again, the Text Trek Christmas special, or Trekmas special, maybe I'll call it from now on, on uh, December 15th. But until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Live long and some proper, too. <laughs>